Made Visible is a podcast that gives a voice to people with invisible illnesses. There's no blueprint about how to live with an invisible illness or how to be there for someone who has one. We're here to help people feel less alone as they strive to create a normal life and to create an awareness of how we can be supportive of people who seem fine but aren't. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Made Visible. I'm your host, Harper Spiro, and I'm so glad you tuned in today. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. BetterHelp is an online counseling service that matches you with a licensed professional therapist. Today's guest is someone who I was connected with through a mutual friend who thought we would hit it off. She was absolutely correct, as Sarah Harris and I immediately had a connection, and she's the first person that got me really talking about my skin, thanks to her website, Skin Stories. Today's conversation, I'm talking with Sarah about her skin and what makes skin conditions visible or invisible. So welcome, Sarah. Hi. So happy to have you here. This is really fun. I'm really looking forward to it. We were connected through a mutual friend who insisted we needed to know each other. And I don't even know this person so well. So it was really amazing that she connected us with such confidence that like, we were both up to something that the other needed to know. Yes, that's right. So cool. So tell us a little bit about who you are, where you're from, and what you do. Sure. So I'm Sarah Harris. I live in rural upstate New York. Not like 90 minutes north of the city, like six hours north of the city, right? <laughs> I love like, how you emphasize that. Like really close to Canada. And I am a writer and a reporter and a content creator. I kind of am a digital <laughs> content jack of all trades. Um, and I have eczema. Right. So it's really interesting because when Sarah came into the studio, we were talking and trying to figure out, like, is eczema and skin issues in general a invisible illness or not? And it's such a sort of weird thing. And I've been thinking about it a lot. So talk a little bit about when you developed eczema and how it's affected you in your life. Yeah, absolutely. So I developed eczema when I was pretty young, three-ish, and simultaneously got allergies, right? And my mother, you know, didn't really know what to do and was totally on top of it and started going to allergists and started going to doctors. And so I don't really remember life without it, right? But it's varied in its severity and its intensity over the years. You know, what's interesting about skin conditions as opposed to other health conditions is that you do see it, right? Because it's on the surface of the body. When you have a truly invisible illness, you're fighting to be taken seriously, right? To be acknowledged for what's going on with your body and to have the space and the time that you need to manage it. When you have a skin condition, it's blindingly obvious to everyone. And then you have to start fielding questions and inquiry and sort of constant, you know, people asking, do you have a sunburn? Do you have chicken pox, right? Like now, do you have measles? And that's, it's a different way of having to explain yourself to the world. I can definitely relate to that because I think part of it is it's visible, but part of skin conditions is underlying issues, whether it's scratching or anything that you have to deal with on top of just what's physically seen, right? And to your point, the questions that you get asked probably make you or definitely make me uncomfortable in my skin in trying to figure out what the language is or are people making assumptions without asking questions on what you're dealing with? Sure. So like yesterday... I went to a yoga class and this woman was like, 
oh, it's so hot out. You've been in the sun. And I was like, um, you know, even though these questions have happened to me for much of my life when my skin is flared or red, right? I still sort of struggle in that moment to like clap back with a quippy response. You know, I didn't quite get there yesterday. I didn't sort of have a line at the ready to be like, no, actually it's eczema. And just like, you know, there are techniques you can use to deflect lines of questioning. And, um, you know, I wasn't on my game with it, which just goes to show you that every time it's like another little ding, right? Absolutely. When you and I first spoke a few weeks ago, I felt like you had such a confidence around your skin that I couldn't really relate to and sort of made me like, wow, I want the confidence she has around her skin. Did you always have that confidence? I think my parents worked very hard to give me that sense of security in myself. And I was really lucky that I I went to private school. I grew up in relative privilege. I wasn't in a sort of brutal child bullying environment really ever, right? I mean, I, I wasn't ever really made to feel like I didn't belong because something was amiss with my skin. And I recognize that that's really not the norm for people with skin conditions. And I feel really lucky. <laughs> when I first sort of started to talk about it was in the sixth grade speech competition. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. I know. And I got third place talking about skin disease summer camp, which I went to as a kid. And so that sense of confidence developed for a couple of reasons. The first being that I was, you know, I was really lucky and I was really held by my community and my school and I felt really secure in myself. I went to this summer camp, which we should talk about because it's hilarious. Absolutely. Um, where all the children had different skin conditions, right? And you, though you didn't have to talk about it there, you felt a part of, you know, a really accepting environment. How old were you when you went? 10. Just for one summer? Oh my God. I went for many summers and then I was a counselor till I was 21. Wow. And so how did you discover this? Was this something you were seeking out, your parents were seeking out? My dermatologist told my mother about it when I was eight or nine. I was a little young to go. And so they waited and sent me when I was 10. And so I just finished and the fourth grade. And it was something grade. you were looking forward to? Totally. Yeah. And it's called Camp Discovery, but it's it's a project of the American Academy of Dermatology. And it's free for every child that goes. It's fully funded. So there's no financial barrier, Right. And as a result, you get kids from all kinds of different backgrounds, all of whom have skin diseases. And the place is like swarming with dermatologists and nurses. So if you, you know, if something is wrong, <laughs> people are like lining up to get their medicine, but you're also, you're tubing and you're horseback riding. Well, I can't horseback ride because I'm allergic to horses, right? But like you're doing all those kind of summer camp activities to the best of your ability. I love that your doctor suggested this. And that it was something you were so interested in doing and clearly finding other people going through things like you were. Because one of the things I've discussed on the show in the past is how growing up for me, I was so uncomfortable in my skin, really, that I didn't want to own what I was dealing with, let alone find anyone else that was going through this. So for you to have this language to be able to say, hey, I'm doing this over the summer and I look forward to it and I'm going to continue to do it and support other kids, you know, going through it as a counselor is so cool. Do you stay in touch with people through that? Like, yeah. what did you gain from that experience? Totally. So the first thing I gained was like an encyclopedic 
knowledge of the various skin conditions out there, right? I was like in fifth grade and wheeling off all these kind of rare and unusual skin conditions, right? So like, that's weird to have this armchair dermatology (laughs) knowledge, right? And I did make friends that I do stay in touch with. Facebook kind of became a thing as we were growing up. And so that's definitely enhanced our ability to stay in touch. Although I will say, I definitely like early on would get letters during the school year from my camp friends and I'd write them back, right? We had like pen pal friendships, which is so sweet to think about. Oh my God. Sleepaway camp was one of my favorite memories in my childhood and having pen pals and having notes written back and forth. I know. And just that connection so over this school year. And you're like, I can't wait to go back. I don't think they have the camp dance anymore, but back then there was a camp dance. So like getting asked to the camp dance was such a big deal, right? You know, you could sort of have that middle school experience in a way that was a little bit safer. Did they do anything specific around your health, around your skin? No. Or was it just this underlying, like, everyone here has a skin condition, period? Yes, it's the latter. You know, we weren't doing sharing circles. We didn't have to talk about it. All the counselors get briefed before the week begins on the conditions of their campers and what care they might need, right? If you need to bow out of something, you just do it. It was just sort of lived reality, but, you know, it wasn't as if you were having to, like, process it together. I think that would take away, right? Because at that age, all you want to do is feel a part of something. I think the interesting thing that I realized later, so I went back You know, I had to take a break for a couple of years. Then I went back as a reporter and did a story about it for Snap Judgment, the radio show. Which will be sure to link in the show notes so people can check it out. Oh, thanks. Um, And what I discovered then, and this is really complicated, right, that the campers, though they're in this environment which is so accepting and, and is sort of better than real life, they did create a social hierarchy among themselves, these middle schoolers, right? And it did have to do with appearance. It was a little different than the real world. You know, the kids with the worst disease would sort of end up as the darlings of camp. And then everyone else kind of stacked up in the same way they might stack up at home. I remember feeling that a little bit, right? I was an extremely nerdy kid, you can imagine. <laughs> I you was mean, like, You mean with your sneakers and dress that you're wearing today <laughs> that you judged yourself about as you walked in the door? <laughs> yeah. So imagine that, but with a boat hat and like really long umbro shorts. Amazing. <laughs> I mean, that's what you wore to camp. Of course. Sophie shorts? No? Oh, yeah. Okay. Those were a thing. And like Hanes white t-shirts? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cotton, obviously. Yes, obviously. No, no polyester to speak Well, of. that's a whole interesting concept on the skin side of things. You know, the clothes that you wear, is that something that plays a role or played a role in your life of having to wear cotton clothes? I can't wear silk. I can't wear certain things that I totally can break out from and get itchy from. Totally. I think my sensitivities have changed over time. Certainly when I was younger, I was wearing a lot of cotton. I wore a school uniform that bugged me tremendously. Me too. Denim was bothersome at one time. It isn't anymore. I've never had an issue with wool. Many people do. Major. Things that bother me more than fabric and textures are scented detergent, for example. I can't sleep in a pair of scented you know, dryer sheeted sheets and not break out in hives, right? I can't use certain soap. Certain products carry a lot of scents with them, right? That is that eczema related or is that something separate? Eczema and allergies often go hand in hand, right? So whereas someone with straight up allergies might get a reaction, their eyes might itch or their nose might run, right? My allergic response is often 
on the skin. So it yes, in that way, it is eczema related, right? These sort of hypersensitivities are sort of part and parcel. You know, they sort of belong to the disease, right? Yeah, absolutely. So I brought up confidence and how it sort of affected your life growing up. What's it been like as an adult in your working life, in being in a relationship and getting married? Like, how has it affected your life? Yeah, it's been really different as an adult. So whereas as a child, the sort of daily management was more of a burden, as an adult, my skin, like I said, the eczema has changed in intensity. So it really kind of went dormant for many years. Kind of, I had it you know, at my joints every so often, but it was kind of quiet. It wasn't really factoring into my day to day. And then like I, you know, I had like a huge flare when I was in my mid-20s. I was working as a public radio reporter. I was working pretty intense schedule and I was exhausted. And at that time, the new biologics, which you would use to treat eczema of that severity, weren't yet available. They were in trials. Um, and I didn't have access to a clinical trial because I live in rural America. And so I just was struggling and I would get a cortisone injection and it would work for three weeks. My skin would clear up and then it would get worse. It would flare again. And so I was sort of in this nasty cycle and I I struggled to get to work. I was so tired all the time. My skin was weepy and oozy and it, it hurt. It hurt to touch. You know, it was kind of wet. That was a really tough period. I ended up leaving my job in part because of that. And it was interesting because my now husband and I had met you know, when my skin was in a pretty good period, this was a side of me he had not seen and that I hadn't experienced for, you know, 15 years, right? And so I remember taking a bath and just, you know, getting out and I'm like there with my big ass jars of cream. I felt so defeated, right? I'm like, oh, I have to put on this cream. I have to go to work. I'm so exhausted. And I don't remember if he came in or what, and he just started putting cream on my like naked, oozy, crusty, ick body. And I was like, oh my God. I just like, I was so humbled. I felt so loved. And then I was like, oh, you, you're a keeper. Yeah, you're right? not going anywhere <laughs> after this. <laughs> this is the least sexiest thing ever, right? And you were, you're here for it. And um you know, I'm not an easy, like there are things about eczema that make me kind of a difficult partner. I ruin our linens routinely with my blood and my flakes. I put on like Vaseline in the night and like our sheets got grease streaks on them. We started like buying like dark sheets so that you can't tell that they're disgusting. I'm nodding my head going, yep, I can relate. Got it. Yep. You know, like my flakes of skin accumulate on the bedroom floor and you sweep it up and it's like, oh, great. Here's a pile of Sarah's skin, right? And definitely my husband has learned to roll with punches, which has been great, right? It's Have really you great. always been able to talk about it with humor? Yeah, I think that has been a really necessary way to understand how my body works in the world, right? And to spin it as story or to spin it as funny makes it a little easier to deal with, right? Did you have a moment of telling him that you had eczema and sort of your story and your past, given that when you met him, your skin was in good shape? You know, I don't remember a specific moment. He has some chronic illness stuff too, and it also wasn't flared at that time, and he also ended up flaring later. And so we had a conversation, maybe many conversations about it, but I don't remember a specific moment. 
I do remember a specific moment. So <laughs> let's rewind the clock right back to single, Sarah. I was like, you know, a couple months out of college. And this is really embarrassing. So, but I already told the internet about it. So I guess I can tell you. <laughs> <laughs> this is nothing new. This um, is not an exclusive. No, but it felt like a problem that was exclusive to me. Yeah. So I had hooked up with my ex-boyfriend. I had just moved to a new city. He was like traveling through. It was right before Christmas. I was kind of lonely, right? And it was kind of comforting. And um, I don't really remember the particulars of it, but I do remember that he did like nibble on my nipples, right? Okay, par for the course, right? You're hooking up with someone. All right. Anyway, it's like in between Christmas and New Year's, and I just got like so sick. I had a crazy fever, drove back to my apartment in like a total sweaty haze. I was like, do I have the flu? What is going on? And I just felt like trash. And I thought, okay, I have the flu. It's, you know, between Christmas and New Year's, whatever. This went on for a couple of days. And then my roommate was like, you have to go to the doctor. And, you know, when you're 21, you like aren't always so good at being like, I have to go to the doctor. And during those couple of days, I started to get these little kind of zit-like things around my areola, like on my boobs. And I was like, what is this? Did I react to my bra or something? You know, did my roommate leave remnants of a different detergent in the in the laundry? Like, what is going on? But I sort of, you know, I was so accustomed to sort of weird skin things. And I also was like, felt so sick that I just didn't register that that might actually be the problem. So I went to urgent care. And I explained my symptoms to the doctor, which screamed like, you know, oh, virus, cold, flu, you know, whatever, sick. And I showed her the rash and she's like, we're going to refer you to a dermatologist. And I was like, okay, great. Here we go again, right? So it's a couple of days before I get to the dermatologist, right? And it's that dead week at the start of the new year. And by that point, these blistery things have kind of gotten a little crusty Some of them are spreading. Some of them are like oozing. Some of them are crusting and then falling off. I get to the dermatologist who looks at my boobs. It's a freezing exam room. It's Burlington, Vermont. It's super cold. It's January. You know, the lights are so sterile. I take out my boobs are out in the cold, right, for like a bunch of people to look at. And they take a biopsy, which, okay, great. And they biopsy like right up by my rib because I was like, please don't biopsy my actual breast (laughs) if you can avoid it. And um, they come back and they're like, you have eczema herpeticum. The herpes virus has infected your eczema. This is actually a dermatological emergency. You are so lucky you're basically not in worse shape. And I was like, you know, my jaw just like dropped. They said the word emergency. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Because you can get super sick. Okay. Yeah. So what happens from here? So then... And how are you responding to this? Utter disbelief, right? There's like huge stigma around herpes, obviously. And then they asked, were you intimate recently? Because it was in these rings around. It was a kind of weird placement, right? I was so... I just said, no, I lied. I lied because I was ashamed, right? And here is this thing that is so stigmatized in our culture, right? That in fact, most people either have or carry. And it had permeated my childhood disease, which I had very conveniently tucked away in a box and didn't have to deal with. And it had re-manifested as a sexually transmitted emergency 
And I was shocked. I felt like, oh, my God, my love life is going to be over. I have skin herpes. Well, all herpes is skin herpes. But you know what I mean? I have boob herpes. Are my boobs going to, like, leach herpetic fluids forever? You know, (laughs) I had a lot of crazy thoughts in that moment. And, of course, they're, you know, like, the delivery of something like this inside the constraints of medical care is really limited, right? I could have used a lot more compassion. There's a team of people looking at my breasts. And then they said, you know, we don't often see this. Can we take a picture for an upcoming conference? Oh. And I was like... I am squirming in my seat for you. Yeah. And I sort of was like so shocked I agreed. So somewhere out there, if you medical people have been at a dermatology <laughs> conference, look out for that boob herpes picture because it's me. <laughs> wow. And was that presented like it was so rare? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And so what happened? Did they say you needed to be on antibiotics? Like Yeah, was... so they gave me antibiotics and they gave me antivirals, right? And I had a couple more outbreaks. It has now manifested as cold sores, right, that then spread to the skin if I don't take antivirals. So I take preventative antivirals regularly. And I'm happy to say it doesn't fucking matter. <laughs> but... After that, right, when I was like, oh, my God, no one will love me. Can I date again? Can I have sex again? How do I explain this, right? Do I have to tell my next partners about this? I really wasn't sure. And I didn't really know how to do it. And a good friend of mine was like, you know, you don't actually have to tell anybody anything. And I was like, oh. Support for this podcast and the following message comes from BetterHelp. That's Better H-E-L-P, an online counseling service that matches you with a licensed professional therapist. No matter where you are in the world, BetterHelp lets you schedule video and phone sessions with your therapist or even text them. Not only is it convenient, but it's also affordable. BetterHelp's therapists specialize in many different issues from depression, stress, anxiety, relationships, self-esteem, and more. I've talked with many guests about the importance of therapy, and it's something I believe everyone can benefit from. It's so valuable to be able to talk to someone with an informed outsider's perspective. With BetterHelp, you can have these conversations at your own pace, through a secure online platform, and with a counselor you love and who gets you. It's not self-help, it's BetterHelp. Made Visible listeners can get 10% off their first month of BetterHelp by visiting betterhelp.com backslash made visible and entering promo code made visible. That's better com slash made visible. And now back to the show. And so when I did tell my now husband about it, he was really nice about it. And it really wasn't a big deal. And I was like, oh, this is fine. Did you think it was a big deal that moment and after that? I think I have a more nuanced understanding of one, herpes, and two, what to disclose to whom when. But at that time, it felt like a big, because it was, I, I met him sort of shortly after this all happened. And so it still felt like a big deal. And what made you write about this and obviously retell this story here? This is like the best clickbait ever. <laughs> it's like, as a content person. <laughs> I was thinking, you know, lately I'm more open and I'm, you know, writing about it more and talking about it more. And I felt like this hit a lot of buttons in terms of like, how do we talk to our doctors about things that embarrass us? How do our doctors deal with that? Right? Like, what do you do when something is stigmatized? 
how do you live your life with anything kind of weird and that feels consequential, you know? Those seem like really important things to talk about. Yeah, I agree. When my mom was on the podcast earlier in season two, we talked about how there was a dermatologist that wanted me to be such a guinea pig. And everything I had, he wanted to sort of capture and have students come in and look at. And my mom talked about this one time where they just were like staring at my nails because all my nails had fallen off and I had warts on my hands and they just wanted to observe it all. And I just felt like such a specimen. And it was so hard for me to wrap my head around at a age of 10, 11, whatever it was, that it was going to potentially help other people. I saw it as like, oh, I'm a piece of meat. Here's this gross part of me. Like, look closely. It just always, it grossed me out. And it made me feel like they were grossed out too, but whatever. So I never really thought about it as helping people. And it's how I talk often about the National Institute of Health, where I'm a patient. And it's this amazing, amazing research hospital. But it took me so many years to be able to and willing to have these conversations to go, this can help other people. And I think that's what you do so well, is you're willing to be vulnerable and share your experiences so people don't feel as alone as you probably did in this specific doctor's room where they're all staring at your boob and you're going like, what the fuck? I have, you mm-hmm. know, herpes, mm-hmm. boob herpes, as you said. Yeah, I want to respond to that a little bit because I too felt like a child specimen. I had a lot of doctors who were very interested in my eczema that would not quit, right? And I was in a clinical trial when I was, I think, 13 for use of a now widely used topical medicine called Protopic, triamcinolone in teens. And, you know, my mother, who is a scientist, you know, was very clear. She said, this is science. Your body will help science. And I was like, okay, cool. Right. It was sort of the opposite. I was like, all right, that's kind of interesting. My feet are going to be in a textbook. That's cool. Right. I've almost had the reverse timing that you had where now my bodily experience is mine. And um, I don't even consent to like photographs to be kept in my file at the dermatologist because I want my body to be mine. I don't want it to belong to medicine if that makes any sense. It totally and makes I'm, sense. I love to talk about experientially what this has all been like for me. And I do think that is of benefit to people. I'm less interested in helping science, right? Because I'm a person. I love that. I really do. It's an interesting way to look at it. It's sort of opposite to your point of what I'm going through now of like, here, if I can help people, like take whatever you need. Here's 19 vials of blood if this can support someone else. Because I wish that there was more research earlier on about my condition. And unfortunately, there wasn't. But now it's helping people that are younger than me get diagnosed much earlier. So you're the founder of a website called Skin Stories. So I'd love you to talk a bit about why you decided to start this project, how it's going, what you've been featuring on this site. Yeah. So I was thinking about how the skincare craze became a thing a couple of years ago, right? And everybody was like, I'm putting really expensive snail oil and many other multi-step things on my face, and it's going to stymie aging, and it's going to preserve me in amber, and it's the new makeup, and oh, we don't like makeup because that covers us up, but our skin is so beautiful, it should be glowy or dewy or whatever. So I am neither glowy nor dewy. (laughs) Nor buying into any of this stuff, clearly. (laughs) 
Well, I think it's very seductive, right? Because we want control over our lives and our bodies. And when a product or set of products promises that, you know, our culture doesn't deal with aging particularly well. So people really got deep into skincare, right? And I had a really weird reaction to it. I was like, but I have been caring for my skin for decades, my entire life. But my skincare has a really different purpose. It's to keep me from spiraling into being unwell, right? And, you know, this thing was happening and nobody was talking about what it was like for people with skin that is non-normative. You know, if you look broadly, non-normative skin would be skin that isn't young and textureless, wrinkleless, even skin that isn't white, right? We hold up, we have a really limited idea of what good skin is. I think for me, so long as the skin is keeping the body protected, right, and keeping the organs in and the germs out, then it's good skin, right? It's doing its job. But I wanted to talk about that. I started to think about skin as a projection of our identities in the sense that it tells you if someone, it tells you their race, it tells you their age, it can tell you about their health, right? And I wanted to claim that and talk about it more. And I wanted to complicate the conversation because serum and moisturizer is not enough, right? Like there's this whole idea in beauty culture right now of skin positivity. And I think it's sort of the last barrier to body positivity, right? In the sense that like, you know, people are showing off their acne on the internet or they're talking about their birthmarks or their vitiligo. And that's powerful. Increasingly, it's being used to sell product which I think is complicated and bears talking about. I don't know if we should be positive about everything. So the whole idea of X positivity, I think it's important, but I'm, I'm not sure, again, it simplifies something that is really complicated. And so I want to keep complicating the conversation. And so I kept thinking like, so I started writing more stories. Then I thought like, well, I'm busy. I have a full-time job. You know, I can pitch articles every so often, or I could just self-publish something and create, you know, something that I would have liked to have. So I started Skin Stories, and every week we, it's an email newsletter and also a site, and every week I send out the story of someone who's a person with a chronic skin condition who is living a full life. So whatever that may mean, right? The newsletter is now in its third month, so we've had like 12 really interesting people, mostly women, talk about what they're doing in life, kind of reflections on their skin. You know, one of the things I ask everyone is like, you've probably prepped a one-liner about what's up with your skin because people will ask about it. Can you tell me what you say, right, as a way to explain, you know, yourself? And so it almost subverts that, right? It tells us, but it's telling us because we're claiming it, not because we're defending it. Um, so that's been a really fun exercise. And people have been really willing to share, which I'm so grateful for. And then I I kind of scan the internet every week and I'm like, what's up in the skin world, right? What's kind of complicated and interesting? So I'm always sharing those sorts of articles. I look for art that's kind of interesting. I throw that in the newsletter. So I mean, it's like a moving target, right? Every week is sort of, I serve you up something that makes you kind of think of the skin as a collage or a constellation or a really complex thing, a geography, right? I think that's sort of what I'm trying to do. I love that you're doing this, and I feel like it's something that I would never have thought to look for, but it's something that I'm so glad I was introduced to and that I was so glad to be introduced to you. 
And by the time that this episode airs, all have been featured on Skin Stories. And answering that question that you just acknowledged was such a hard one for me because it isn't something that I'm so forthcoming about. I am still trying to figure out the right language around my skin and what I've been through around my skin. And it's something I can hide. And having this podcast is this weird thing about making things visible, and it is visible, but I try to make it invisible because I'm uncomfortable in it. So it's this strange balance of, you know, how to own it and have confidence around it and acknowledge that it is what it is. And yet when you talk about skincare, it's such an interesting thing. I think about going into stores like Credo Beauty and Folane, which are two of my favorite natural skin stores. And I basically walk in and try to identify what's a product that is not going to make me break out. And I don't think that most people or people with quote unquote normal skin are walking into stores that way. The way that I approach it is not like what's going to be the best anti-aging product or what's going to make my eyes look brighter. It's like what's not going to make me break out and what is going to make my skin look better and feel better but not cause any issues. Because really, I've tried so many different things and so many things don't work and cause reactions and I'm sold on products and I'm returning products. And when I finally found certain brands, which I acknowledged in the article that I wrote for you, it was like stick with these and don't, you know, not that I can't try other things, but the importance of finding things that work for you and not buying into some of this brand stuff. Because I think you brought up a really interesting point of there's this great movement happening, but it is attached to products and selling people on products. Yeah, and which may or may not be skincare products, but it's still using the body of someone to sell a product, which I, I saw, feels, feels tricky to me. Yeah, I saw today a whole campaign for somersault bathing suits, and everyone featured on the site has some sort of skin related issue. And it's basically like, hey, if they're wearing these things, you can too. And here's where you can buy it. Yeah. I mean, look, like I support everyone going out in their bathing suit and showing off whatever they've got. But I don't want your skin disease to be the property of the company selling the bathing suits, you know, as innocuous as it may be. One thing that I, I think about skincare, right, is that I really make it a practice not to tell people what to do. Natural products work great for some people and other people have terrible reactions to them and they should only use the synthetic thing, right? And so I'm really careful. You know, I never want to sell anybody any snake oil. I don't, you know, people recommend shit to me all the time. Me too. And I mostly say thanks and move on, right? How Emu many of those oil. people are rodent and field reps? Oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I had coworkers. I'm sorry, I'm cutting you off. I had a coworker from 10 years ago that I have not seen in 10 years contact me and say on Facebook, hope you're doing well. There's an amazing product that I'm working with that I think will be incredible for your skin. And it's sort of like, what do you know about my skin? How can you possibly tell me that this MLM business and not knocking all of them because I love doTERRA oils, but in general, it was just the slimiest approach as if she knew what I needed for my skin. MLMs, one, can have really harmful business practices that put the people who sign up for them into debt. Let's start there. There's a lot of MLM action where I live because it's a possible income stream for people. What I would say to this is that this is when, I know I've been knocking dermatologists a lot in this interview, but actually I have some really wonderful dermatologists and this is where you and your doctor work together to determine 
what is best for you. And the person from high school on the internet is not the person to advise you. And, you know, some of Roden and Field's products are harmful. That's been proven. I know a lady who's trying to do a soft sell on me, and I, um, she's really lovely, but I just can't. You know, I just can't. I'm with you entirely. So one thing I was thinking about was what is something that you think would be valuable for people who do not have skin conditions to know about skin conditions or how to respond to people that have skin conditions? Like the woman yesterday who, you know, acknowledged your non-sunburn. Right. I think the practice of observing things about people's bodies out loud is one we should probably stop doing, right? You know, I, I try not to do that. One thing, though, is that I remember, so I met this woman in this little bitty bar near where I live. I was at wing night with all my colleagues, and she clearly had a skin disease, and I wanted to ask her about it. And I knew what it was. I knew the name. And I, I went up to her, and I, I went to ask, and I said, do you have, and I saw her just flinch so hard, Right. And then I delivered the thing that she did have, ichthyosis, right? And she's like, yeah, actually, I do have that. But that overture is really tricky, right? Do you have X? If you don't know what it is, maybe don't ask, right? Because we then discovered, in fact, that we had been at skin disease camp at the same oh, time. Stop. Isn't that crazy? No way. It's totally, it was like a really fun coincidence. So you felt a little icky having just said it the way that you did, and yet you then... Connected. Right. Exactly. Wow. But I don't know. You know, it's really how, would you, how else how would was you, I? Yeah, I was just going to say, how would you reframe it? I'm not sure. I'm not sure how I would reframe it. I want to ask you about your skin, like a gentler thing, as opposed to like running right up there with the name of the disease. But can I ask you about your skin? Because then it would have given her the opportunity to say no. I think the language we use around not just skin, but also disease is really important to think about. I'm always on the lookout for stories about skin and coverage of certain stuff. And everyone universally says, blah, 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 has suffered from psoriasis. Oh, right? I hate suffered from. Suffered from is really problematic because it essentializes our experience and it doesn't give a person the dimension of feeling that they really deserve. So I'm really on a campaign against suffering. I'm really banishing that from my language. And I'd encourage everyone, whether they have a skin condition or any condition, to banish it from their language and to maybe not self-identify as a sufferer, right? Because I suspect that suffering isn't the only thing you do. I love that. I think a lot of people can appreciate that with or without invisible illnesses. Well, I appreciate you taking the time chatting with me about this topic. I hope everyone will check out Skin Stories, especially mine. I know. I'm excited. <laughs> this is, the picture of you is so cute. Oh, thanks. I appreciate that. So where can people learn more about you, connect with you, and check out Skin Stories? Yeah. So you can go to skinstories.us. That was the only dot <laughs> available. But I liked it because it was like, it's not US, driven. but I was like, oh, it's it's us. It's for us. It's by us, right? So that was an okay domain name. Love to that. Um, you can also email me directly, Sarah with an H, S A R A H, at skinstories.us if you want to share your story, if you have questions. I'm very happy to talk to you. You can sign up for the newsletter there. You can read the stories of people with skin conditions there. You know, I'm thinking maybe I can even broaden out kind of what I'm doing. This is a, a starting place, but I, I think the conversation around skin can be, you know, always broadened. And so I'm really eager for your input. So yeah, please shoot me an email. 
Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for tuning in to Made Visible. We hope you learned about something new today. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a few minutes to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on iTunes. We can't do this without your support. Visit madevisiblepodcast.com. Follow Made Visible Podcast on Instagram. Special thanks to the team who made this possible. Elise Bonebright, the audio editor. Gemma Leghorn, the assistant producer. Dylan Chenfeld for the intro music. And Krista Gray for the logo and design concepts.